Hey guys, we're back. Uh, I realized uh, earlier that like the reason I typically do like protracted intros, like I don't really like I need to get my brain spinning to like start, uh, but I don't have that problem today. Uh, I was thinking this morning about like all the things we could talk about on this podcast. Like uh, Jay-Z performed the God Did verse last night at the Grammys. I didn't watch the Grammys, but I watched that part. We could talk about the God Did verse. We could talk about Last of Us. Uh in this strange loop of like video games always wanting to tell like really evocative stories, right? And they finally did it. And now what's happening is that like the TV industry was like, oh, let's let's try to do that video game, like really do it justice. And they're doing it. Uh, we could talk about uh, the NWBCA, the Northwest Baseball Coach Association Conference we were down at. Um, there are all these things we could talk about. And instead, what we have to talk about is the same stuff that we talk about all the time. And we have to talk about pitch count again um, because it's just like it's the it, I don't even want to call it like low hanging fruit. It's just like it's a it's a safety player health issue. Yeah. And we have to keep talking about it because the rules keep getting neglected and abused or ignored. So here we are talking about pitch count again. Yippee. Uh, I've had someone like troll me once. They were like, you talk about the same stuff all the time. Like, yeah, man, because uh, it doesn't change. Because yeah, yeah. it doesn't change. Um, I would love to not talk about pitch count anymore. That would yeah. be a great day. Man, like, I, I would love to sit down, and we have to do this once, like, talk about uh, your journey specifically in scouting, right? Let's talk about scout school. Let's talk about, like, that process of how you learned a grade on a 2080. Like, let's demystify that thing because um, – we know that a lot of parents don't have any access and insight into that world. They just don't understand it. Like I was talking to uh, one of our 18 new coaches, Ian Sanderson, uh, just yesterday when we had on-field practice about uh, the process that he kind of goes through when he's talking to schools about kids that we have. Um, and I, like we could have that conversation, but right now there's a lot more value in having this conversation about pitch count because if kids can't stay healthy – until the time that they're 16, 17, and 18 and trying to find a place in college, it just it doesn't matter. Right. There's no point. So, um, you know, this most recent conversation about pitch counts um, uh, got pretty well acceler accelerated by Josh Rudd. Yeah. Um, Josh did a great job of, of, I think, shining a light on something that, you know, that a lot of people, in, including us, have been talking about for a while, uh, specifically as it relates to um, tournaments that were held during the MLK uh, weekend uh, celebration. Um, we've all seen the picture of Martin Luther King, uh, you know, like flipping balls to his kids in the backyards. I don't know if baseball tournaments are like the best way to celebrate MLK's uh, legacy, but I digress. I know they're not, but I'll also digress. Yeah. So we'll, we'll punt on that one again. It's something we could talk yeah. about. But instead, we have to talk about the other thing, which is, is that, you know, a lot of these kids in a January tournament are getting run um, not only to the MLB pitch smart limit, but but well in excess of it. Um, and not only over the course of a single game, but that usage issue is happening over multiple games over the same weekend. Um, and a lot of people had a lot of questions about um, how healthy that is and how safe that is. Um, so I, I think it makes sense to kind of like, to dig into the meat here, which is, as I see it, um, MLB Pitch Smart has a recommendation. It's not perfect, 
I, I would probably argue that like some of the people that I've talked to that are involved with USA Baseball or with the creation of that that standard would would not disagree there, but but it's better than nothing. It's better than nothing. Um, and like we we don't really follow Pitchmark. We we are much more strict than than Pitchmark tells us. We're well, we could on be. the more conservative right, side. Yeah. Right. So um, you know, previous to uh, you know two thousand. 16 is when I think when they started trialing PitchMart. Uh, and the standard that was used before then was innings, right? And and I think the reason that we, I think if you're listening to this so, show, for sure you understand this. Um, you know, in youth baseball, an inning can be a nine-pitch immaculate inning or it can be like a 50-pitch roll-it inning. Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> like, and all, all those things are in play. Um but it, when that stuff happens in a tournament environment, you don't have the opportunity to roll it, meaning that we're just going to go like, hey, this kid has hit his limit today and we're just going to like flip the innings, right? That's never going to happen in a tournament environment because a tournament environment is designed to stratify who's the winner and who's the loser, well, right? We could say that won't even happen in a non-tournament environment, right? Like I, sure. I, uh, well, I mean, we trying to set up scrimmages. Like I, 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 okay. I've tried to set up uh, a good amount of scrimmages for us to play other organizations uh, in February. Uh, and I had two very clear rules when I reached out that if they weren't willing to play by those rules, we're just not going to be able to get this done. Uh, and maybe we could talk in like March, April, uh, and they were, we need to have the ability to roll innings. Once a pitcher gets to 20 pitches, that is, they can't start a new batter after 20 pitches. So we're just going to roll the inning, whether or not there's one out, two outs, nobody out, bases loaded, we're mm -hmm. rolling the inning. Uh, and the second one was uh, end the game slash do like BP uh, or like coach pitch uh, mm -hmm. once we run out of pitchers. We have... A set amount of pitchers that are going to throw uh, based on our schedule and maybe that's four or five and if we get to the sixth inning we don't have another pitcher to throw out there then we're just going to cancel the rest of the game or just like send a coach out there or whatever nobody was willing to play by those rules nobody and um and to make sure everybody kind of understands our perspective on this, you know, it, it isn't, we've been building this stuff since October, right. but the thing that we're building towards now is, is now, you know, like a blend to competition phase. Right. And it's a very different thing to blend to competition, which is like, you know, the week one, first time on the bump is 20, 25 pitches. Cause you kind of figure that like, Hey, kid's going to come up and he's going to be like on pitch number 19 with the last at bat, last batter. You finish the AB you finish at 23 to 25 yeah. or whatever, right? We could um, probably get reasonably close to 30 because the sure. last at-bat was like an eight, nine pitch at-bat, whatever. Yep, exactly. Um, so the, the idea that we are trying to execute here in a scrimmage situation is if the first outing is, let's say, let's just land in the middle. Let's say it's 25-ish, right? Uh, next time we're going to try to, let's see, get to 35-ish or whatever. And the next time let's try to get to 40, 45-ish. And the idea is, is that not only between the scrimmage stuff on the weekends, but the way that we kind of build volume during the week is that this is the same thing we talk about all the time, which is being progressive with the way that we develop and increase workload. Right. And we, and the, you know, the other part of this is like, we don't live in a warm weather state. Yes. I wouldn't say it's a cold weather state. Because I, I have lived in Illinois and Minnesota, so I wouldn't call it a cold weather state, but True. it's not like a warm weather state for sure. 
So uh, the big thing for for me, and I know we had this you know talk in, in our department meeting was getting guys up and then back down. So getting guys down and then getting them back up for the next. Yeah. Inning. So if you throw one inning, whether it's like fifteen pitches, twenty five pitches, whatever it is, sitting down and then getting back up on the bump after the next half inning, that is something that you should do gradually. Yes. <laughs> and not just like immediately jump into. Uh, and and have some sort of thought as to how you're going to do that uh, as you build up these guys. So it's more, I that's almost more important than like the the raw pitch count. Sure, uh, is like I would let a guy go thirty pitches in an inning. Uh, I probably wouldn't let him go more than that, but I'd let him go thirty yeah. pitches in an inning. So if you're talking getting a guy up to 35, 40, 45, 50 pitches, okay, now we're talking a second inning, and this has got to be like a progression to get him yeah down and then back up. Because that is like, especially in the cold weather, yeah. not a super easy thing to do, and can cause some injuries if like kids' arms get cold and then they don't warm them up and they just go back out there, yeah, and throw. And uh, in in the tricky thing, and obviously the thing that we ran into when trying to schedule scrimmages is for us to find another organization that wants to do it that way. To a degree, they kind of have to be in alignment with us about like. What's the point of our scrimmage? If not I mean, care about beating us in the scrimmage. Yeah, and and like like it's I you know we did this we were out there yesterday. Uh, my children yelled at me for rolling innings. They sure. they know exactly sure. the deal. Yeah. Uh, and we had to roll an inning with the bases loaded and one out, and they were just like, we just left runs on the table. It's like yeah, we did. Who cares? Right. <laughs> like this is the, you know this is, and part of this is like the way we set up our program. We could you could set it up very different ways, right? We set ours up with the clear February 27th, which is a Monday, is our season start date because that is when Little Leagues, for the most part, up, for the most part up here yeah, start. Yeah, should be rolling. And that is when most of our high school kids go to trials. So that, to us, was our season start date. Not MLK Day. Uh, if it was MLK Day and we're talking six weeks earlier, we don't do a velo phase. Correct. And we just immediately start the blend of the competition after the on-ramp in November. Yeah. And that's just like a conscious decision that we made of like, uh, we don't care about playing tournaments in January because uh, why should anybody care about playing tournaments in January? We want to do some off-season development. And that was like the trade-off we made, which like we're going to make every single time. That yeah. we're, we'd, we'd rather do that than start the season with some indoor MLK Day tournament that means nothing. Which is like, you know, sometimes I think about how to hack the way that we literally like explain to people what we're trying to do, because there's all this nuance. Like there's, there's all this nuance, right? I mean, and, and, you know, we've, we've, we did the beef episode talking about some of the, the most recent episode. So we may have some new viewers. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. We talked about the beef episode, right. And it's so funny to me that like the, the thing that gets, you know, prescribed to us is because we throw things both lighter than heavier than five ounces obviously the ball that God intended us to throw. Right. Um, Just like a football. Sure. Of course. Of course. Which is or, you know, five outs or softballs. Wait, shit. Hold on. Uh, anyways, um, is it that get that charge gets kind of levied against us that like we're doing something intentionally injurious, right? Or we're, we're engaging in a, a type of training that like, well, that's not appropriate for kids now. But simultaneously we're over here taking this like, I think appropriately considerate and conservative approach to building pitching workload. 
And like, and again, I mean, I will posit that the the logical, you know, square hole round peg here is to suggest that that we would logically do both of those things. I would logically want to engage in a type of training that is potentially dangerous, but I would also logically like be very conservative with it and build kids up. That like again, assume that I'm a scumbag. How, do, how does that make sense to you? But I digress. Well, if I'm assuming you're a scumbag, I also assume you, you don't follow the rules of logic. Oh, well, sure. Like, yeah, that's yeah, the true. assumption. It's true. Like, I, like logic, who just, you know, yeah, I suppose the, the right amount of scumbaggery does take you outside of a logical box. I guess you're right. Um, but yeah, so, you know, what, what Josh um, did, and he, I think he had someone help him to kind of just like compile these numbers at mass is kind of, you know, look at the publicly available data uh, for, a, for a January tournament and then apply kind of a rule set, uh, again, that, you know, that these these leagues and some of these tournament providers are supposed to be staying within. And then, well, how, how much is outside of those bounds? And shockingly, uh, there was a there was a lot. There was a lot. Like, but e- even like within the bounds. Right. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're like, sure, you get 60 pitch, pitches and pitch smart. There were guys on there that went two innings and threw 60 pitches. Right. And like in January, like did right. what, was there a proper build up to that, or are we just like abusing, you know, like the the system and saying like, oh well, Pitch Smart allows us to throw up sixty pitches, so like right, right, this and is what it, we're gonna do. And it's such a you know, and I mean, and I think back to some of the you know some of the conversation that that goes out when we start posting footage of kids throwing plyos or of kids moving from uh, you know progressive build up in the onboard to that stuff to then the higher intent throwing side of things. And like, yeah, I could say with a with a reasonable degree of confidence that if we had if this what we did for scrimmages last weekend, like literally yesterday, if that was a tournament, um, you know, we would have applied the same the same approach, which is difficult in a tournament setting because all the value prop there is not to be conservative. Right. The value prop there is not to act with care and consideration about putting your kids in a, in a place where they're more likely not to be healthy at the end of competition. It's to do the other thing. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've put the carrot very publicly at the end of the stick about what we're trying to get. So how is anyone in that ecosystem, parents, coaches, players, man, you're just, you're asking them to like be on an F1 track with an F1 car and drive slow. Why would I do that? Yeah. And, 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 you know, so, so Josh is putting together this committee that are trying to uh, get, you know, some, some people involved to kind of further this conversation because it needs to go, it needs to go further. I, I mean, and that's just the thing, right? MLB Pitch Smart exists. It's, it's out there. And like, I mean, we're talking, you said 2016 was the first year it was adopted. Uh, 2016 is when I think they started trialing it. And I think they, they the actual implementation was like 17. Okay, if I, I think that's I think I have that right. That's kind of a long time ago. Right. Like things change. You right. Know? What was that? What was people's view of, of this building? You know, in 2016, 2017, right? Like nobody knew that that's like a a thing that should probably be updated again with yeah with more. Yeah, knowledge. yeah, and um, in in the man, I'm I'm not trying to I'm not trying to call anybody out. I mean, I think you you know it when I do. <laughs> uh. See last episode. See the yeah. last episode. Um, but he, so here's where we are, man. You know, uh, there are large national organizations that have already made their choice. 
Your Little Leagues, your Ponies, your Ripkins, say whatever you want about recreational baseball, but those organizations, when they were confronted by, hey, MLB Pitchmart, USA Baseball, Dr. Glenn Fleissig, et cetera, et cetera, everybody got in a room and said this is the standard, here's your menu of how you can choose to be compliant. Little League, Ripken, Pony, uh, Legion, I think, some some large organizations, they said, yes, I, I want to self-select into mandatory compliance, which means not only am I going to communicate to my coaches, hey, this is the standard you're going to be performing by, but but you're supposed to have some amount of oversight. And the great thing about, I mean, maybe great, okay, an advantageous thing about where we are in youth baseball right now is because of the proliferation of places like Game Changer or iScore or whatever you use, a lot of the information is publicly available. And those large organizations said, yes, this is what I'm signing up for. And this is I will be held accountable for. Not everybody did that. And, and some of these other organizations in terms of large-scale tournament providers had an opportunity to choose to, to do that. And they chose the other thing. They chose select compliance. And, and, so mar, and so much as I understand it, all the select compliant means is that on select events, I will choose to be compliant. Well, which ones? Yeah. Like five? All of them? The ones in January? The ones in July? Which just means that like all the other time, I am choosing to not be compliant. And, and the extent of the guidance that I will provide my coaches is like, hey, are you aware? And we, and we, I mean, I think I've given like the, the stupid speed limit analogy before. The, the speed limit doesn't say, hey, 60 is the top, but you know, do as you will. Yeah. My commute would be a lot faster every day if that's what the law was, but that's not what the law is. The law is says you have to go 60, and if you go above, you can get tinged. And, you know, and, and I do know. Yes. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, uh, I I probably drive within the, hey, you know, if it's 60, I will go 67 because I feel like within a seven to eight mile an hour range, I, I mean, wh whatever. Careful on that last day of the month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy, that last day of the month is a doozy. Uh, shout out to police officers that have to write tickets for people that are going like two miles an hour the speed limit. But I digress. Um you know, these national organizations that provide uh, the service of putting on tournaments for, I don't know, is it unreasonable to say millions of children? Probably I mean, not. Like, no, yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably that number. You know, they, they made a choice. Yeah. Um, and, and it's like everybody gets into this kind of pissing contest about like, well, you know, where are the coaches or where are the parents? And like, and so I've, I've, I've even seen the comments of like, well, these kids need to stand up for each other. And like, Look, man, you you just must not have coached, you know, like, and, and you don't understand that if I go out to the bump on the kid that I've coached and I've had a relationship with that kid for some amount of time, and that kid also understands that I that I write the lineup, right? If I go out there and I'm like, hey, how are you feeling? There is nothing in terms of the power dynamic of that relationship that's going to compel that kid to have their first thing to be honesty, right? They're just not going to. Unless I lay so much runway before that to incentivize them to actually tell me the truth. Because if I don't, and again, I'm in a tournament ecosystem where everything is designed to very publicly go like, hey, it's whatever it takes to, to get one of those. Yeah. Why, why is that kid going to be honest to me? And like, and I've, I've heard the other thing, man. I've, I've been present in the stands where a kid's thrown bordering on 180 pitches over two days. 
And the coach goes out to the mom and goes, hey, I'm, I'm going to run him for, for one more inning. Are you okay with that? And the parent goes, whatever you need, coach. Yeah. yeah. Like, man, it's, it's, it's power dynamic there. And, I, you know, it, point being that we need structure and we need rules and we need this conversation to be uh, treated in a way that it's not just like, this is something I'm going to decide to be uh, interested in in October through February because nobody really has anything going. Our seasons haven't really started. This needs to be a continual conversation where we evaluate everyone's behavior over the course of the real competition season and then see what happens. Because I'm pretty sure that, like, again, the I think the, the core reason for concern about MLB, MLK weekend tournaments is the inadequate amount of onboard, right? It's the inadequate amount of preparation. And like you said it, man, if, if we were going into that environment, we would have to take that six weeks of velo development and punt on it entirely. Because yep. that's the only responsible and reasonable way to get there. And hey, I'm sure that some of those programs that were participating that weekend probably did exactly that. Maybe I'll just grant that there's a possibility that some of them, right? Yes. Um, and and again, man, and at that point, it's like, look, we're having a conversation about, you know, is it is it valuable to harness the 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 opportunity in those six weeks to train for velocity in a safe and controlled fashion, or do you do the other thing, which is get ready for games? And it, it, if if somebody wants to make that decision, like, hey, I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna. I'm going to be a kids are going to grow into their velocity guy. Yeah. And or like, you know, my kid likes playing games more than he likes training. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That he's a kid. So that tracks. Uh, But, you know, that's why we don't let kids decide if they're assigned homework or not. Right. Like, uh, yeah. But like if you're if you want to go that route, like that's, you know, there are lots of places out there. We're just probably not the one for you. Yes. Uh, If you don't want to if you care more about like the gameplay than like the actual development. And we're probably just not the one for you. And, and you yeah, know, that was a conversation because we did do January tournaments last year. Yes, we did. Um, that is not a thing I was going to do this year nope. in any world. Uh, and, like, I, you know, I had a good amount of parents uh, who were with us last year who were upset that we didn't do those tournaments this year. Yeah. And I explained why and, like, you know, who knows how far, you know, that actually went. But, um, yeah, it's, I like, we can't, uh, we're the adults here. Like we have yeah. to make these decisions with with uh, some context and like yeah the best knowledge of my ability uh, and like yeah I am not going to throw kids out there in a January tournament and punt on development because like I know that January tournaments don't matter and no. development matters just way more uh, no. and like maybe he'll be upset one weekend in January but I'll probably be much happier in like June when he's throwing harder right. And we punted on January term- tournaments, but we're doing the thing that we're doing now, which is having gone through uh, a velocity phase, and now we are like appropriately slow rolling our way into this competition buildup, mm-hmm. right? Like that—that that is a path you can take. I think obviously, you know, the the concern is it's not organizations like ours who've kind of taken a stance against January tournament baseball being a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also don't think the concern is the organizations who might punt on a velocity development so that they can get ready in a healthy fashion for the six weeks. I'd say that there are, I I will posit that there's like zero of those. 
even if I think it's a like small it, number. Well, I think the you know the Venn diagram of like uh, wanting to do velocity development and uh, caring about like properly on ramping uh, into a workload is probably just one big circle. It's yeah. So like I, I feel like if you're if you don't if you care about an on ramp, you probably also want to do some sort of velo development because you're sure. like thinking ahead. Sure. Whereas like if you're willing to just like throw kids down on the mound right away, yeah, you're probably not doing any kind of like development program. Yeah, I mean in either way, right? If if there's if there's kind of those ends of the spectrum, like the onboarding velo development, periodized progression into gameplay, or the non velo development, but periodized progression into gameplay, those are the edges. Yeah. And and the concern is everybody in the middle, um, who who again, uh if you if you take that mix right of inadequate onboard and inadequate periodization for like high intensity throwing and mix it with a lack of governance by the tournament organization about just i don't want to say workload cuz it's not workload it's just pitch count that is a dangerous and a bad mix mm-hmm. and it i think it just pushes us towards like this snake eating its tail configuration of like man i've i've seen guys are like well ever since mlb pitch smart came up there have been more arm injuries yeah but where are those arm injuries coming from are they coming from rec ball i mean certainly some of it right but but where is the overwhelming majority of it is it coming from the the one sector sector of our ecosystem that is like to a degree to a comparative degree highly structured in terms of what they've, uh, you know, kind of agreed to go into for mandatory compliance? Or is it the other side? Like, it, this isn't this isn't a problem well, that I think... They're probably not doing a whole lot of recovery. Well, sure. And, like, that, you know, that's the best way to get hurt, is not recovering from the throwing you're doing and then getting back out there and throwing again. Yeah. Yeah, and um, so... It's it's difficult, right? Because I don't want to make anybody feel like, oh, we're just like I'm looking down my nose, and I'm like, oh, you, you know, you're you're bad actors, right? Like, I, I you know, I brought this up all the time. You know, the 154 uh, games that 11U team played in the 2020-2021 season. It is a feature on all of my slide decks when I talk about this stuff. Because like, because why? 154. Because that's the path that they see to make this thing be a successful experience for their kids. It's predicated on winning. And there's and like there's just only one way to, to get more of that resource. It's a scarce resource. You only get it from playing games. So like, well, we, hey, man, if we want to play 80 to 100 or whatever this year, of course we have to start playing in January. Yeah. And if I'm running an organization where the parents are like, we got to win a bunch of games and I don't do anything. I don't take any responsibility as a person who is a subject domain expert to go like, Hey, let's see this thing for clear eyes. Tim Corbin doesn't care. Your high school coach, I'll just make it more local for you. Your high school coach does not give a shit about whether you won a January tournament. They don't care. So if they don't care, understanding that like, okay, then what's the value? I just want to see my kid play. Okay, fine. Do you want to see them healthy? What matters more? And that's where, like, you don't, you know, I get that you don't want to look down your nose at people. So I, 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 I will. <laughs> like, no, I, like, I also don't want to tell people, like, because I, I don't think it's malicious necessarily. Uh, but I do think it's, like, willfully ignorant, right? Like, yeah. most people, uh, maybe not, maybe that's not true, but, like, a good amount of people, 
who coach youth baseball, run youth baseball programs, probably also watch some major league baseball. Yes, agree. I know. And like you're seeing it, and so like they're watching it there, and then they're just like, "I'm not gonna like, yeah, you know, oh, these guys are being you know capped at ninety some pitches sure. for the most part, and but like I'm just not gonna you know these guys who throw." Seven days a week in most cases. Yeah. And who have like a very rigid throwing program. Yeah, if they're not willing to push these guys over 90 pitches, why are you doing it with an 11-year-old? And like that to me is just like willfully ignorant. Yeah. If you're especially like since most of them, and now maybe these guys are big college baseball fans because you can see some stuff in college baseball. That's uh, sure. That's real bad as well. Sure. But a lot of the better programs are no longer doing that. Yeah. Uh, but you you still do see it. It's not infrequent. Yeah, and I, and and again, the thing I keep coming back to is just like, man, uh, you know, the NGBs, the national governing bodies for our sport, um, have laid out in pretty stark terms, like what what's the intention supposed to be, right? Like USA Baseball has this stuff as a resource that you could find on usabaseball.com. Go to uh, USA Baseball LTAD. They had this beautiful a gigantic PDF thing that like talks throughout these ages. What is the criteria? What is the curriculum? What you should be focused on? And then as an industry, we either like are aware of that stuff and disregard it. Or we do that thing where it's like, we're aware of major league baseball. We're aware of college baseball. And we look at children and see their usage is just like turned up to 11. And we're like, sure, that's fine. And uh, and I understand also that like a lot of this is compelled by this economic machine that is travel select club baseball, right? That like it is an easier thing for me to communicate the value of my program to parents that I want to get checks from if my team wins a lot. I want your kid to be a winner, right? Of course, of course. And the moment that I set that out as my intention, that like the, the easiest and the simplest path for me to get the most amount of money get the most amount of kids and the most amount of parent buy-in is I just have to tell you, Hey, we're just going to win a lot. We're, we're creating winners over here. We're creating winners over here. And again, part of the reason that anytime I do like these national or state talks, talk to a bunch of coaches is like, what are you, what are we gaining? I mean, what, what are we really gaining and what are we setting up? Because this game that like we have this perverse love hate relationship with, because it's so difficult is not predicated on you being successful all the time. Like, literally, no one does that. At the highest level of competition and consequence, nobody does that. But the system that we set up for these kids to participate in is like, hey, championship week every single weekend. Yeah. Every single weekend. So every single weekend is like an emotional landmine for a child to navigate, to go like, hey, if I'm not one of those 12 kids in this like 14 or 16 or 2014 bracket, if I'm one of those 12, I'm good. I'm safe. And if I'm not, I am a failure. And you don't care about the kids who burn out. Of course. Because there's course. always another kid that's willing to step in there and take the abuse. Yep. Because if I, if I burn that kid out and I run him for too long and growth plate you know, flies off the bone or whatever uh, and we win... Who cares? Yeah, there's still like who cares? I can find another kid that I can abuse the exact same way. Right. Because I just if 
I'm just, I increased my leverage. I didn't decrease the leverage, right? There's no like public youth uh, arm injury index. That doesn't exist. We may, we, I guess we can make one. Uh, yeah, people will definitely report that. To yeah, us. that's. Yeah. They'll self report injuries. Can to, you to imagine? Us. Yeah. yeah. Um, hey, guys, you were right. Yeah, that's, that's something I never hear. Yeah, that's speaking of not holding my breath. Um, you know, there's just uh, there isn't a lot of incentive for anyone uh, that's that is in the ecosystem compelled by that type of value proposition to do anything different than they are right now. Yeah. Which, which again, so if we're going to dig ourselves out of this hole, if we're going to if we're going to course correct a little bit, it has to come down to the large organizations. And it's and again, the rec ball guys have already self-selected into mandatory compliance. I don't honestly think that any of this is going to change at scale unless you have those large organizations on the tournament side do the exact same thing. And they just don't have an incentive to do that. Why would they? Right. Why, like, you know, and again, like, I'm, you're asking them to care about something that is, like, kind of not their job to care about. But coaches are going to operate within the rules you provide. So it, I... I I think it's a thousand percent accurate that there is no incentive for them to change other than you have to take a five to 10 year kind of perspective on where we're going. And and if where we're going is like, you know, uh, your rec ball pitch count and your travel club select ball pitch count, is just like two ships in the night, man, they, they just pass. Right. If that exists and there's no national kind of pitch count repository, there's no national agreed upon by not only the NGBs, but the large organizations on the rec and the tournament side. We're going to continue to see this thing run afoul of logic and health and safety. Yep. It's, it's just, it is, an, it is not a bug. It is a feature of the way that we're moving right now. Yep. And, uh, and again, like with everything else that layers on top of that, with recreational leagues having diminished participation, losing players, losing uh, high-level coaches and board members or whatever, uh, what does youth baseball look like if there is no rec ball? If youth baseball looks like it's all travel ball and it is all just down to moms and dads just like running a team and running into tournaments, then it's only going to get worse. Mm-hmm. I, I, and, and, and to a degree... And worse and more expensive. Yeah, oh, 100%. Not only are we going to country country club our sport even more, and our sport already has more equipment that has cost more than basically anyone else, uh, that already is an issue, and I would offer that that already has a disproportionate uh, effect on minority populations, uh, and you can see that in the participation numbers already. Um, it's only going to get worse on the other side, too. Which is just like if every weekend is a tournament and the whole thing revolves around winning, then we are going to make sacrifices necessary to achieve that value proposition. Mm -hmm. Because now I'm not a recreational baseball coach who's getting paid zero dollars who should just have an objective of 120 days from now. My kids decide they're like they tell mom and dad, hey, I want to I want to play ball next year. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Right. Uh, Now it's the other thing, which is I took a check from you six to 10 to 12 months ago. I would like another check. How am I, how am I going to get that check? Yeah. Well, I, I got to tell you that like we're the winningest of all the winners. And, you know, and the reason that 
the reason we don't do that, the reason we burn all these calories developing systems to quantify and hold ourselves accountable to player development is because we want to be in the other side of the uh, side of the pool. Mm -hmm. Like we don't want to be in that end. But um, I, I feel like sometimes, man, the, the course that we are charting is just so entirely different than like the way that the rest of the ecosystem is going because it's going towards like we're just going to win at all costs because that's the way that I communicate value. Yep. And it'll be interesting because like we're going to have, uh, you know, Pocket Radar is this game changer integration now. Yep. So we're going to have Pocket Radars at all of our games this summer. And I would bet we're one of the few teams that actually brings like a pocket radar or like even a stalker potentially yep. out to games to like get radar. But like we're not going to go based off raw pitch count. Raw pitch counts can be a part of it. But yep. like, hey, uh, this kid's velo dropped five miles an hour from from inning one. Uh, maybe throw pitch count out the window and he's tired. Maybe he's hurt. Uh, let's let's cut this thing off right now. Correct. Uh, and you don't know that if you don't, like your eye is not going to tell you he went from 71 to 65. Yep. Uh, like I have a pretty good eye. I would, I would be able to maybe see that it's slightly slower, but not to like that degree and right. like start to get worried about him. Um, and like that's a major thing that we're going to do this year is like make sure we're monitoring velocity as well as like pitch count numbers and making our decisions uh, with all of that information uh, and not just, and the information of, okay, uh, maybe this is, if we're playing a tournament and this is game two, where did he play in the field last game? Right, right, right. Uh, or where does he play in the field the next game or right. the next day? You know, like this is, this is not an isolated thing and like not every kid's the same. Some, some kids are going to be able to throw 60 pitches. Some kids are just like, I get pretty gassed after like 25, 30. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, again, like velocity. So, you know, USA Baseball has on their like recommendations for arm health. It's to not throw. Uh, they specifically recommend the kids don't throw against a radar with a radar gun. Right. Do they really? They do. That, that is a thousand percent a thing. It is one of their one of their tips. Um, and and I understand like I, I understand how, you know, we've we've got here because if you don't take the time to explain to coaches the way that velocity can be used as feedback about fatigue. And you don't feel like that's something you can make people understand, then then I suppose I can understand kind of the, the logical path to go like, all right, well, I'm just going to tell kids not to get uh, not not to throw on a radar gun. However, it's so simple. It's it's so so simple and like again like at the NWBCA conference last uh, last weekend or weekend before last or whatever it was weekend before last, uh, I said to them when I'm I'm like I'm, I'm I'm up on stage I'm like look if this was the Northwest Swimming Coaches Association conference and I was like hey don't have a stopwatch at your practices you guys would laugh me out of the room yeah right you'd laugh me out of the room. Velocity is feedback. It, it's just feedback about energy and fatigue. Just treat it as nothing more than that. Why wouldn't you want that feedback? There is enough information out there that directly correlates fatigue and mechanical breakdown and mechanical breakdown and injury. How do you, how do you know that that's going on? You harness the power of understanding what did our velocity start with and how is it progressing and developing over time? It's really simple feedback. Again, some of these large tournament organizers 
are literally like, as I understand it, generating player reports about the way that these kids participate in game. Those player reports have data that's collected on field. Which would suggest that some of them have systems in place already that would go, hey, Johnny Katie is down 10%. Let, let's say that more than 10% is a flag. It's just going to be like, right? That could be a thing. That could be a thing. They were in game. You see three pitches that are 10% deviation from kind of established baseline threshold. Have that compel a mound visit. Yeah. The, the system is there. Yeah. They don't need new stuff. You just have to think about it differently. And instead of, I'm going to sell you what was your kid velocity, now I'm going to monitor it. But I, I but then you might take a kid out of a game and, and mom and dad don't want their kid to come out of a game. Correct. Because the kid doesn't want to come out of a game. And, and, to go, and, to, and again, to go one step further, I think your point is incredibly valid that there isn't a lot of incentive for that change to be made because the moment that that thing happens where the tournament organizer is like, hey, uh, Katie's got to come out. I'll find another tournament to play in. Yeah. yeah. Right? I mean, not me, obviously. Uh, yeah, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, the, the, market, the market is going to go, oh, you know, it's, it's you know, uh, Randy's pirate baseball and, you know, good old Randy's down there. Yep. He's running no pitch counts. And uh, you can do whatever no scumbag. Sure, sure. Um, and man, I you know, uh, I don't know what the systemic solve to this is, other than um, again, you need everybody on the same page about mandatory compliance. Uh, because I think that's the first step. I would love to see the first step be every youth game is played with a radar gun. And everybody is going to uh, be vigilant about uh, some sort of, you know, standard deviation from baseline throwing velocity. I'm not going to hold my breath waiting for that to happen. Uh, I would love to see, uh, you know, every kid on the field have a pulse sensor on. I would love to see that. We're working on some stuff. Demo some ideas there. But I, I'm not going to hold my breath for that to happen in the next 12 to 24 months. I do think that there is like, like literally we have a standard already and it's flawed, but I still think it's, it's decently good for putting some bumpers on the lane. Yeah. Like, and, and that's really just the way that it should be thought of. And, uh, and I think if the large organizations, not just rec, not just rec ball, more people get on board with that. It opens up the opportunity for the tournament people to also get on board with it. And now we just have a safer ecosystem. Mm -hmm. we, we just, we just have a safer one. Um, and you can go one level deeper, you know, like here in Washington district eight, uh, you know, district eight little league has like a firm rule. that was just like before April 1st, kids shouldn't throw more than 50. MLB pitch smart would have them, uh, you know, like at the majors little league level, right. Uh, would let them run up to is 85 or 90 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and District 8 just has a rule that just is like before before April 1, 50 is your cap. Uh, I don't know why that isn't adopted nationally. I don't know why that you couldn't create that same standard on the tournament side too. Because you have to sacrifice winning. I know. I know. Because if you get to a championship game and your best pitcher is at 47 pitches and you've got like three outs left to get, 
you're just gonna say screw that rule. Yep. And you're just gonna push that kid and, and mm. hope that someone says no, that no one says anything. I wonder if we need to turn development into a competition. Like, is is that the thing? Is that the thing that like is gonna compel parents and coaches to think about this differently? Like, can we get into competition about like who can develop kids the best? But but even that, I mean, I I guess I would worry that like the first thing that the market is going to do is go, oh, well, let me do the riskiest stuff to, to well, develop for kids, sure. right? For sure. sure. So now we're back at like, um, uh, what was the, what was the, tr- like the super, super original, like the Velo program? Uh, oh my gosh, I can't remember. Like the OG driveline stuff where it was just like a lot more high intent throwing. Yeah, it was, it was not great. No, right? no. Yeah. When we, yeah. we changed, we right. don't do that anymore. Right. Um, uh, it was the Max Velo program. Yeah, it was Driveline Max Velo. Yeah, that's that's what that was. I yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm trying to think about some way that we can help parents just think differently and coaches think differently about just the most basic thing, man. Like, what's the outcome of this experience supposed to be? I mean, I would argue we're turning development into a competition. We are sure. here. Sure. Yeah, 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 sure. yeah. Uh, and like, you know, for those of our parents that, that watch this podcast, uh, it is not cheap uh, to turn, to collect all that data and like... To staff it, to run it, to monitor it, to hold it accountable, to, to pivot. I mean, you... There you need is a lot a, of resources in terms of time and money. A lot uh, of calorie burn. And like, yeah, it's always going to be easier to just like not pay attention to any of that stuff and, and focus on winning as the competition. So like... I would love to compete with someone about who can develop better players because I know we're going to win. Yeah. Uh, but nobody wants to be in that competition. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, talk about some of the, the league fees and tournament fees that, that exist oh. out there. Like, having a development competition is even more expensive. Yeah. Because you need all these subscriptions to all these technologies. You need staff. You need to train your staff. You know, most there's no kind of coaching certification in most places. Correct. Our coaches go through almost 20 hours of yeah. training and onboarding that like costs time and money. Yep. Uh, and like it, that I, we're, we're not going to get to that point where people are going to be willing to allocate those resources to that instead of winning games. Because like it's, it, and, and like, I'm not going to disagree with this part, uh, much easier to recruit people based on we, we won than like, oh, we developed. Yeah, kids. man. Yeah. So like, 100%. they're trying to run a business. Yeah, and I think, you know, we've talked about this. We don't, I think we are pretty unique in running a youth baseball program where we don't look at it as a business that we're trying to run. Uh, we we both, like, legitimately care about these I mean, kids and, like, yeah, their results. it's called their an results. academy. You know, right. like, we literally call it an academy for a real significant reason because we're sending a signal, like, just in the way that we name it, man. It's not, it's not this other thing. Yeah, and I... Um, I guess I'll shout out myself here. I, I went and saw a couple of our, the kids on my team play basketball uh, over the weekend. Oh, you did? Uh, I did. I did. It was, it was a lot of fun. Shout out Colby, Koba, Brady. That's a lot. But like one of the parents uh, said that there was like a kid on the team who had to quit because the baseball program he was at wouldn't let him miss any practices to go to basketball practice. Whereas they have basketball practice on Thursday. That's fine. You come in and you get yeah, thrown in it. on a Friday. We'll figure it out. I'll be here. I'll show up on Friday to help you get your throwing in. Yeah. But like, 
uh, I don't want to, like, I care about you as a person and I know you like that. So like, you, and also yeah. you're 14. So like, yeah. you should have some fun and enjoy the sports you're playing. So uh, like we, if we were running it strictly as a business, yeah, I wouldn't let that happen because yeah. those three kids are all really good and they could get hurt. And if they miss opportunities for us to like hyper-focus our approach that is like winning, right? Then then that harms the whole. It's it's not like, oh, well, we could develop you the same way on Friday as we do on Thursday. It's that I need this thing to to function towards this one goal that I have. And it's the only thing I care about. And you know, the fact that most days we've got a PT sitting right here and like yeah. all of our coaches are like uh very cognizant of and like always on the lookout for potential injuries yeah. and like kids not throwing as well as they normally do and like yeah it helps that we have radar guns literally everywhere and we know yeah. how hard our kids throw and we could see like well, that's a good deal slower than you normally throw yeah. is everything okay uh and like we don't tell kids to suck it up and just like throw through it right right uh right. like that's like not a thing that we're willing and it's just we if we ran it like a business we probably would Something like, yeah, if I run it like a business, my bottom line is affected most by winning games. So, yeah. like, I'm going to do whatever I can to win games. And, yeah, that may mean telling a kid uh, you can't play basketball or uh, telling a kid you got to throw through this. Uh, you just, like, yeah. keep pushing through it. Like, it's just soreness. Or or I'm going to make you a 13-UPO. Or a 13-UPO, right? which right. we see. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely. I mean, it's yeah. going to help you win more games. Yeah. And, like... You could make, uh, you know, it, you could make a velocity argument of like us getting radar gun readings during the game as like going both like a lot of people probably don't realize that that is our goal. Sure, for sure, those, sure. For the radar gun reading is to monitor yeah. that and yeah, see if yeah, there's yeah. like a drop in velocity. Yeah. And you could make the argument that we're turning it much more into a uh, let's show off how hard our kids throw sure. or, uh, you know, let's get our kids to try to one up each other and then yeah. end up getting hurt because they're throwing too hard. Um, and like, that's not why we yeah. do it. Um, and that's okay. Like nobody needs to necessarily know our motivations behind yeah. certain things. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're going to bring radar guns out to a game and like, we're going to get some weird looks and I'm totally okay with that. Yeah. Uh, you know, and just like, I think that the tricky thing about like uh, competing over development is also that it's just going to uh, it's going to take time for mm -hmm. that process to unfold, yeah. you know. And it's like I, I was just talking to um, again, I was talking to Sanderson, you know, one of our eighteen U coaches, um, and uh, and I guess he's had some coaches inquire about some of our younger kids, and 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 Sandy was just like, yeah, you know that I mean that kid might be looking at a higher echelon opportunity if the development continues, right? Mm -hmm. And you know. I uh, I kind of have to I need to accept that as like a as just like the direction of this thing is going to go right you know we're we're not going to be proven right in the first twelve to twenty four months we're just not you give me forty eight months you know uh, yeah man I, I mean I think that we will have the opportunity to do something that is just like significantly changing kids athletic careers because we address all this stuff we take this really specific approach but. You know, it's it's in the interval, you know, month one to month 47 uh, that, you know, there's just a lot of people that are, you know, yeah, they're going to think that we are putting guns on the field so that our kids can show off. Well, and like or, I, you know, I am sympathetic to the argument of like 
getting a kid from 60 to 63 from Thanksgiving to early January, which is like very yep. good, yep. Uh, is not as clear of a win as winning a tournament in January. Yeah. So we get to January and we're like, hey, your kid is throwing three miles an hour harder than he was six weeks ago. Uh, and like maybe uh, either kid wanted to throw 65 or kid had a friend on the team who threw 65 or whatever. So yeah. he feels like, sure, it's like a win, but it's not like a huge win as opposed to yeah. like a tournament where there's like a clear winner and a loser, right? We talk about like the the kids are, you know, can't really think in the abstract. It's oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I win, it's I win, I lose, I lose. And like you get into development and like there is no winning and losing in development. No. And like that is a, a tough thing, tough concept to get across to a kid or that kid's parent of like, hey, it is more valuable to your son to go to gain three miles an hour at the age of 12 than it is to win this tournament. And like that only matters if you kind of care about what your kid looks like when he's 18. Yeah. Or just care when they're 14. Or 14 or 16 right? or whatever. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. And this is, it's not the easiest argument. And I get that. Yeah. Right, like we talked about this with like my 14U kids, like we set goals for all of our kids. Most of my kids set very high goals for themselves. Lofty. Very, lofty is a good word. Uh, and most of them failed to reach those goals. Yeah. They all got better and they all gained uh, some amount of throwing velocity, exit velocity, peak power in the, in the weight room, whatever yeah. it was. Uh, but if they fell short of their goal, to them it was a failure. Like I threw, I started throwing 74. I now throw 77, but I really wanted to hit 79. So like, yeah. I'm a failure because yeah. I went 77 instead of 79. It's yeah. like, you're 14 throwing 77. You're going to be fine. Well, and and they have a great coach who's going to provide context. Thank you. Uh, no, I mean, it, and it's... it's, And that's part of the training we put our coaches through. So they, they right. have that ability to have that context, to have that conversation, because we know it's not an easy conversation. Yeah, and I just, I guess the thing that frustrates me, man, is just like, I don't think that this stuff really requires like rocket science to understand. I mean, it, it's a pretty fundamental, I think if you boil it all the way down, it's just an acknowledgement that like, look, 90 foot baseball is different than 60 foot baseball, and it compels a different set of skills. And you need to have those skills for the inevitable transition, because mm -hmm. it's absolutely inevitable. You have to grapple with it. So if I want my kid's most impactful youth baseball experience to take place after puberty, not before, this is the path. Like, th this is just it. And anything that happens beyond that is just like, whatever. So this, this basketball game I went to Saturday. Call it the Steph Curry effect, whatever you want to call it. Okay. A lot of kids jacking up. Their oh, sure, sure. Uh, and like, you know, you could, 90-foot baseball is not the same as 60-foot baseball. Uh middle school basketball yeah much smaller court than an nba court yep um you're not asking you're not telling kids we keep gotta you gotta lay it up until you get to the nba court yeah lay it up like the the hoop is still 10 feet yeah it's so like that doesn't change you just gotta lay it up because then they get to the bigger court and they can't shoot past 10 feet right yeah. like that's part of it that you you have to yeah. give them that room to like develop into that larger game because that's what all these kids are here for like yeah. none of them are here to play small scale sports and like you have to build them up to get to that point. Correct. And like, why would you, man, like as a parent, as a parent and a coach, why would you want a kid to be put in an ecosystem that is basically designed to like 
chew them down into into splinters by the time that you're 12 so that like you know i mean i was talking to one of our parents on the scrimmage about just like yeah you know 13u is a difficult year you know this it's the hardest this 15 yeah. you know 5480 thing man is is really really difficult and the whole point is not to maximize 5480 it's to get ready for 6090 because 6090 is inevitable and evergreen once you get to 14 6090 the whole way through but it, it, I just, it annoys me and it grinds my gears when coaches like act like the fundamental agreement. Hey, post puberty, let's keep kids playing post puberty is like it takes, a, you have to burn a lot of calories yeah. to like, hey man, look, these are just, these are just facts and numbers. You know, like the, the 40,000 to 105,000 square foot play space difference between 60 foot and 90 foot. 262%-ish increase, it's inevitable. And it has to compel a different set of skills. And if you're behind the curve, it's really hard to get caught up. It's the same thing that, like like I said earlier, we said February 27th, that's our season start date. When we have kids sign up for Academy Online, Academy Online, we ask them when you need to, when you, when's competition? Start, yeah. Right? And then we work back from there. So you can ask the same question. When do you have to play 90-foot baseball? Yeah. 14 you great let's work back from there and make sure that when you get there you're ready yep not like let's play to the field we have right now and then you're gonna get yeah. there and you're not ready yeah and, and it's not to say like i and i'm not saying that like every kid who needs to get better that's 14 or 15 years old is a lost cause to be clear we've got kids in our academy at those ages that have made substantial, substantial gains. gains yeah it's the other thing which is, again, like long-term athletic development. If we get ourselves in a place between the ages of like 9 to 13 where we're not behind the curve, then we fundamentally change like the platform that you start on when you move into 14U. Yeah. It's just different. You know, we're, we're just changing. It's like if 14U to 18U is a sprint, but the start position of that sprint is relative to your skill when you get there, you want a shorter race or a longer race? Well, I would say like, all right, 14 to 18 is a marathon. Okay. Why are we sprinting? All the way up to 13 you. Oh, sure, sure. To prepare yeah, for this marathon. Right. Like, why are we just doing sprints? Yeah. It, it, you know, it like doesn't make a whole lot of sense until you, again, boil it all down to the fact that like the incentive is to win games. Yeah. And like, why that's the incentive? I don't really know. And why it's so much stronger in... In baseball as opposed to other sports. Yeah. Well, uh, this was, I mean, this was my my point over the weekend about high school wrestling. You know, like I've, uh, you know, I did not wrestle in high school. I, like most of my other friends, looked down my nose at wrestling uh, when I was in high school. Like, oh, that's, you know, you know what I'm going to say. Um, and then I started wrestling later on in life. And I was like, oh, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. It's incredibly hard. <laughs> Definitely gonna have to cut this one out. Okay, I just got a huge frog in my throat. <coughs> Jesus Christ. Water didn't help. No, it made it worse. <coughs> Sorry, Chloe. Chloe, it'd be really funny if you just kept this whole thing in. Yeah, that'd be good. Devin's over here dying. That'd be the last podcast. Um I'm learning this lesson right now with high school wrestling. My daughter's participating. 
And high school wrestling, I, I, I posted about this on Twitter, and somebody was like, well, the rules are a lot more clear. Yeah, kind of no. Man, when like you're in transition and, and reps are trying to determine uh, what's a pin and what's not. Yeah, it doesn't seem that clear to me. It's not that clear, you know, like, but I think, and again, I'm new in this space. I didn't start wrestling until I was in my late 20s, early 30s when I was doing some MMA stuff, uh, and I wasn't very good. But nobody's very good. And, and to even go one step further, you know, depending on the, the day, the time, the opponent, and then the duration of the match, anybody can lose. Like, like anybody can lose. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many matches I've seen this year where, like, be a guy or a girl just, like, like, super dominant early, but they can't, you know, they can't finish, but they're just racking up points. Fatigue makes cowards of all men. Isn't that the, the quote or whatever, right? Sounds good. Kids, kids burn their gas tank out, and then something will happen quick, and, hey, you might have been down a ton of points in that match, and you get the pin, game over. I think that enforces this sense of humility on the kids that are participating and on the parents. You know, like, I, I just think it's, it's implicit in this environment that you understand that, like, winning and losing is very, very thin. And I don't know if, if the, you know, the baseball side of things is compelled because everybody plays baseball when they're young. I was going to say, but... I, I think that might be the argument. Not that the rules are more clear, but people know the rules more. Yeah. Than, than like, a, or an average parent at a wrestling match probably doesn't know exactly what the rules are. And, like, what constitutes a point, what yeah. constitutes a pin, you know, whatever. Uh, whereas, like, baseball, uh, most people have, like, a working knowledge of, like, at least the general rules of baseball so do we need more ignorant parents How, is that the is that the solve like i don't maybe no i mean uh, I, yeah that's not gonna happen right yeah you need uh we need to change the the incentive which is just winning which is just like not gonna happen right yeah. like you're we're not gonna change that incentive like that's always going to be the incentive uh but there's there has to be a more and i think like 13 is the age that needs to be fixed the most Yeah. of like, what is this year of baseball? You're too old generally for little league. Yep. You're too young to be on full field and, and baseball. Yep. So like, and, and you have a, you have a definitive like start date for when you're going to be on a 90. Right. Right. Like it's, you could pick the date on a calendar. Like that's what we do. So you can make the argument that like 13, you, you should like, we shouldn't even play games. It should just all be development focused to get to a bigger field or like what the argument I would make is just like, yeah, hey, let's just play in a big field at 13 U. Yeah. And like, is it going to be great baseball? No, no, it's not. No, uh, we're going to learn like, a lot. Like they're going to be much better at 14 uh, and like much more equipped to deal with that field at, at 14. Um, and you know, they don't make, I was talking to one of our 13 U coaches about this this morning. They don't make 13 U fields. No, they're very difficult to find. They make like 12 and under fields because they're basically softball fields, same size. Yep. Uh, and they make fields, uh, tons of baseball fields that are 60-90s, right? Yep. Um, they don't make fields that are the size of 13U. So like the best you can hope for is a field with uh, plugged bases that have the plugs yep. ready for, for different age groups. And then like throw off the bottom of the mound which is like almost flat ground or like have like a just a full-time portable mound that you can move six feet up or whatever the case may be and there's just like not a lot of places like that so like my preference instead of doing that is just like let's just play on a 60 90 like we're gonna struggle a little bit and that's okay 
Like, we're going to, you know, ball in the gap is a home run at that point. Or at least a triple. But the benefit of that environment is the signal is so clear to the kids about, like, this is a different place and it requires a different set of skills. Yeah. Right? It, it just, it's really, really clear. And the, the earlier that we can send that clear, I that's that clear signal, I think you avoid that other thing, which is, like, man, I, I've I've been to the juniors tryouts for, for my local league. And I've seen these kids... I, you know, we've seen them since T-ball. Three hopping throws from the six hole. It's like, look, man, yeah, that's a 120, 130 foot throw. It, it just is. And, yeah, I just, uh, I really struggle with how to compel at scale, I think, parents, coaches, and large organizations to understand that, like, look, man, we just, we have a significant problem. This disproportionate number of player loss we have in our industry at 13 to 14 it's it's disproportionate compared to any other any other sport. Mm -hmm. I think it's a reasonable thing to correlate between the kind of the the scale and pace of that change and this disproportionate loss of players. And when the numbers are so significant, like two million every single year, like like divide that number by twelve. Yeah. How many teams of kids are we losing? Yeah. Like leagues, millions. Yeah. Not I'm not saying that hyperbolically. And if they if they're multi sport athletes and baseball is the one they give up, when they have kids, they're probably not putting their kids. Like, Correct. Their their kids are probably quitting around the same age if they play baseball at all. Correct. Correct. Why and would like, you put a ball in that kid's hands? I know that some of the kids that we've gotten uh, that are uh, you know COVID was was obviously a real thing. So like some of the kids that we've gotten that are 14 that like kind of had their development stalled at like 10 or 11. Uh, and then it was just like coming back to the game now. Um, I know they're not going to play in high school. Yep. I know some of these kids are not good enough to play in high school. I don't spend any less time making sure that they improve, they develop, and they enjoy the program because I want them to like baseball when they get older. Uh, and like that's a thing that like, won't happen because we don't, you know, our sport doesn't do a very good job of marketing itself to young people as it is. No. Uh, but like when you have people quitting and getting frustrated with it at 13, that person is not likely to remain a baseball fan as they get older. Yeah. Yeah. And like you? you just like, it's, it's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And I think on the other side of that, man, and this to me is like the, the whole reason that from the first day I walked into driveline, seeing it from the perspective of a youth baseball parent is like, I mean, the data is engagement, and engagement is going to lead to intrinsic motivation. Like, that that's just the loop to me. Mm -hmm. Is, again, like when we talked about the, those those kids of yours who are like, they set really, really high goals, and they didn't get them, but they made some progress. So now you recalibrate, and you recalibrate and go like, okay, I, I wanted to eat the whale in one bite. I, I, I took a couple pieces pieces out of it. I'm going to keep eating. Mm -hmm. Like, that that's just the whole thing. Um and in the thing I will keep stumping for is that like we can take that data driven approach with technology, with uh, with pocket radars, with stalkers, with bat sensors, with hit tracks. We can do all that stuff. You can also do the same thing on a dirt field with a pen and paper when you start tracking things like hard hit balls in the outfield, like you know firm pitches that were competitive in the zone. Like you, you just have to understand this concept, and you can apply it relative to the tools that you have. Right. And you know, and and that's. 
you know, we, we were talking about, you know, I, I'm not going to hold my breath waiting for every player in the country to have a pulse and tracking every single throw, right? I'm not going to hold my breath uh, waiting for every single baseball uh, organization to mandate uh, velocity being leveraged as feedback uh, and, and kind of monitoring for fatigue in games. I'm not, I know that that is just like, you know, I we need the the three, the genie three wishes to make that happen. Yeah. I'm, I'm not waiting for that to happen. However, there is zero reason that coaches and parents can't start to apply some of these ideas to the way that they approach their recreational baseball seasons right now. Like literally right now. You can do it. You don't need technology. You just have to understand the landscape of what you're building towards and then capture and incentivize the actions that take place over time that push towards that same thing. Yeah. Kid takes a high intense swing and he misses a little bit. You have a choice. You can either get in that kid's ass about everything they might have done mechanically wrong or right, and you're probably wrong, you can do that. Hey, man, I trust you. Like, I, I, I hate, I hate, hate, hate how much, so much of our sport is just like we're literally actively coaching kids to be worse. Be terrified, so terrified of failure. Rattled. Yeah. We are rattled yeah. about failure in a game that re- requires so much perseverance. It Like, it's just, and it's the thing that we know that we love about it. Yeah. But a kid takes one bad swing and we're like jumping down their throat. And yesterday's scrimmage was uh, cool for me and like the rest of our coaches because we called uh, balls and strikes for our own pitchers, right? So yeah. we're like standing behind them out. So it's like almost like a bullpen where yeah. I could stand yeah. behind the kid and like talk to him between pitches. Yep. And like, okay, uh, what happened there? Like what? What was the goal there? What yeah, were we trying yeah, to yeah. do there? Like, okay, that's fine. Yep. And like some of the times, you know, one of uh, one of them uh, threw um, right after a fastball that a kid was timed up pretty well and yeah. hit foul. Um, then went to a curveball, and so I said, "Why? Why did you?" And he he shook off a fastball and threw okay. a curveball. Okay. And I said, "Okay, why did you shake off the the fastball and throw a curveball?" And he said, "Because I wanted to throw a curveball." And I said, okay, okay, that's not the right answer. Like, that, that's a fine answer. Sure. The answer I was looking for was, like, he had my fastball timed. I wanted to change yeah. it a little bit. And, like, but, like, yeah, your answer is totally fine. Like, that's, but, like, I get to see how you're thinking through this kind of stuff. Um, you know, one of the kids uh, who doesn't pitch a whole lot uh, struggled a little bit yeah. uh, with, with throwing strikes. And, like, you could tell he did not really want to be on the mound. Like, because a lot of the strikes were not even competitive pitches yeah. early on. Um and and then what happened? And and then I'm standing behind him, telling him, "You got a defense. You you got to trust them. Bases are loaded. There's nobody out. Yeah. And he has not thrown a strike yet. Um, you got to trust your defense." And I said, "Like we're rolling innings, so you've got like eight more pitches. Okay, so like you use use them how you want. This is a scrimmage. There's no outcome here that matters. Yeah, just have some fun out here. Trust your defense. Lay it over the plate. Let these guys hit the ball on the play." And we'll see what happens. Uh, the very next pitch, uh, fly ball to left field or to right field, yeah. uh, catches it perfectly executed cut, gets the guy at home, yeah. double play. Uh, two pitches later, he gets a pop out to end the inning. Yeah. No run scored. And like that's not something I could have done in a game. And and what's so funny about that is that like when people land on that side of the equation, like we have to play all these games. These kids need to learn how to play the game. You could do that thing. You could do. You could. You could like, do. You could. And, and you know what do we hear all the time? Well, kids don't know how to play the game. Kids don't know how to play the game. Well, how often? 
are you putting them in a competitive environment where you can actually like harness a learning yeah. opportunity and you can ask those type of questions. Let's talk about approach to the game. Let's talk about situation. Let's talk about scenario. Talk about like, I mean, how often do you get those opportunities in a tournament? Right. Well, now I at least have to wait until the half inning. And if in that half inning, I have to like tell this kid that he's got to pick up the catcher's gear for next inning. You're going to be on second. Oh, yeah, you can go to the bathroom. Oh, your mom needs you to take you to soccer. The ump just called you over to ask a question. The like, ump, and, ump has and, a question. And now, the, and uh, now gotta, all the kids have left it up. Right? I got to talk yeah. to my scorekeeper. Well, now I just miss that opportunity. Right. And now I have to hope that like I can either make a note or remember it 90 minutes later when we're having our post-game breakdown. Not in the moment. Right. Not in the moment. Not in the moment where you go, hey, you got eight left. Right. Trust your defense. Yeah. And, and it's uh, the ability to do, like, I, you know, Lots of our parents want us playing other orgs or tournaments early in the year and whatnot. And I've, I, and I know it's a losing argument, but like the only difference between a scrimmage and a, a game uh, is the mindset going into it because yeah. you're literally playing the exact same game. Yep. It's just like how you treat it. Are you competing like it's a game or are you competing like, like it's a scrimmage and not really trying that hard? Yeah. And like, I know I push my kids every week yep. to like, this is a game. Like, take this yeah. like a game. You cannot just turn it on, turn it off. This is like, when we step out of that field, we're, we're in game mode. Like, yeah. whether it's a scrimmage or not, but giving me the ability to, like, stand behind them and, like, what were you thinking there? Why'd you shake them off? Yep. And, like, it, you know, I could go out to the mountain and make a mom visit. I get one of those. And then I got to take the kid out yep. the next time. Right? And, like, that is not quite what i want to do development wise uh and like allowing giving us like a lot playing scrimmages instead of like other teams allows us to do that uh while getting the reps into competition reps in yep and like i will never win that argument i understand that uh that like there are some kids who just like won't ever take a scrimmage as seriously as a game or a tournament because like there's nothing to win um yeah but like okay like, I, I know that this is affording us way more opportunities and we're not losing anything. You're just capturing more opportunities to teach. I mean, you're capturing more opportunities to teach and the kids capture more opportunities to learn. And, and again, you know, it's like, look, we started this conversation talking about pitch count. And I think the place we're landing on is that, like, yeah, to really solve that shit, to solve all the posture and the non-compliance and the intentional ignorance, you have to think differently about what is the core intention of this thing. What, what are we trying to do? Do I want my kids to, to, to be taught and do I want them to learn as much as possible and be set up for success to kind of have a lifelong attachment to this game? Or do I want to do the other thing? And like, that's just where we're going, man. Like, that, that is absolutely like the, the course that we have plotted right now is to do the other thing. And I've, you know, we've, we've said it time and time again. High school coaches, college coaches don't care about this stuff. Uh, Nobody listens. Like, no, no, most parents don't, you know, that message doesn't really resonate. It's not going to change their posture. You know, the, the, the coaches that are just like, you know, their value proposition to their parents is winning, so it's not going to change them. Yeah, the, so amount, like, the amount of times we've told our kids uh, why showcases, especially in January and February, yeah, are yeah. not it, and then the amount of kids that we had that went and did them anyways. I, I, look, I know that in a lot of cases we're losing that messaging battle to these uh 
tournament organizers and showcase organizers and things yeah. like that who uh, they see their friends posted because uh, that their friend went to a showcase and hit yep. X or Y yep. or they won a tournament and like their friends are at school talking about how they just won this you know MLK Day tournament or whatever it is. I know we're gonna lose that argument most of the time, um, but the good the the reason I know we're at least like going about it the right way is all those kids came and told us that they did it. Yes, because yeah. they all are cognizant of what that what kind of impact that has on their throwing program, yeah. on their health, things like that, and like I just kind of have to settle for that being the case. If if they're not gonna listen about the showcases and they're gonna go to them anyways, at least do it safely. And like be smart about it. Yeah, I mean that that keeping up with the Joneses thing is just like you know if it compels you to go you know lease an Escalade you can't afford I guess that's fine you know RIP your credit score but uh, but it compels you to do the other thing which is just like grind your kid into you know dust mm-hmm. you know to, to put them in situations where their literal physical health is compromised. Yeah, man, it just you know it's it's tough. So and, I and you know their mental health. Oh, a hundred percent. Like the hundred percent. Like even more so. Yeah. You know, obviously, we had a couple issues last week with with some yep. more serious things, and like I couldn't help but feel that other organizations like wouldn't care because like it doesn't help uh, if I'm spending more time with one or two kids because they're really going through something. Then I'm spending less time focusing on winning. Correct. Uh, and like, yep, yes, I am. That's okay. I'm good with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, so yeah, if we're going to, you know, solve uh, youth um, health and mental health issues in baseball, uh, everyone just needs to change the way they think about this whole thing. That's, that's palatable, right? Yeah, we can, we can do that. Next we can, week, week after. I mean, <laughs> probably give, right give there. me like 10 days, dude. Yeah. I give 10 days. We're going to change how everybody thinks about this whole thing. And it's just going to be like this panacea of just like, Everybody's going to be in the same page. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's it's going to be difficult. But if like, we, if you have big leaguers out here, shout out Chris Taylor, who that came out this morning. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You got big leaguers out here who, who like, okay, he might not be the most famous Dodger, but in that quote, he says that like all of them came here, right? Um, if you got big leaguers saying this is what you should care about, yeah, not tournaments. And you don't listen because you think you know better than like a big leaguer. Yeah. I just, and like, even if you're not a big leaguer, if someone, say his name's Jeremy, uh, tells you, yeah, yeah, uh, that like, hey, this is why we're doing this program. We've thought a lot about it. Uh, We've put a very large amount of thought into this. Uh, And like, it's pretty rigid. This is what we're doing. This is how we do it. And this is why. Yeah. And you like think that there's a better way to do it. That's okay. This may not be the place for you. Yeah. And like that's that's okay. Uh, like we have different goals. My goal is for your kid to grow up and adapt to a 90-foot field and love the game of baseball and learn some like really good life lessons along the way about yeah. how to deal with failure. And how to improve yourself. Right. Yeah. Uh, your goal is to win games at all costs and uh, make kids feel bad about themselves, likely, uh, if they don't win the game. Or, like, uh, teach a kid that there's only one way to do something by, like, you have to follow these mechanical rules because 
Uh, there's only one way to swing a baseball bat properly or one way to throw a baseball properly. Yeah, Dis- um, disregard the the nine different swings, the nine different setups that the guys just see on your local MLB team. They're, they're just the move, as, uh, as my buddy Tommy Johnson would say. You got to do the move. And, and like, uh, you know, I'm not going to get too into this here because, like, this is not uh, that podcast. But, uh, you know, we've got a, a relative issue in the world today where experts are, like, uh, not totally listened to. Yeah. Uh, but, like, why in certain youth baseball spaces would you pay a non-zero amount of money uh, to send your child, and not just driveline, but there, there are a lot of places sure. around the country that do some sort of development, youth baseball development, uh, and then complain about the way they do it because they're not winning enough games or they're, or they're, they're not playing enough games right. or things like that. Right. It's just like fun. And then, you know, in a, for me, and like I'm not a parent, so I can, you know. Uh, but like a lot of like, as long as those parents exist, the tournaments and yes. showcases and things like that are going to exist because there's going to be a market for them. Yep. Uh, and if parents start to not think that way, uh, and and understand that like, hey, these are like the literal experts. Yeah. Like, I love my company. We're the we are experts. Like we are absolute experts in the baseball industry. This is literally uh, all we do. And like every day. MLB teams, experts. MLB players, yeah. experts. Yeah. If you're not going to listen to any of these people, I, I don't know how to help you. Yeah. But like that is like you know that's in in many ways that's like a, a kind of a problem with with today's world is like I think I know better and I have never researched and have no idea. I just like think I do, yeah. uh, and I'm gonna you know focus on this when like everybody who actually does this for a living is telling you that's not the right thing. Yeah. And there's just like, until that changes, there there's like not a whole lot, and like that gets back to like what everyone would say, which you can ask Chris Taylor, you can ask any of the Dodgers who came in here, um, if they won a lot of tournaments at eleven and twelve, right? And they don't care. Right. It doesn't matter. And like I've, somehow that message isn't is is being sent and not received by like the vast majority of parents. That like it doesn't matter. Scouts don't care. College coaches don't care. It doesn't really have any impact on your ability to play at the big league level. Correct. Uh, so why do you care? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. It's really, it's really, really difficult, I think, to, to have people understand and see this thing for clear eyes for what it really is. You know, like it's just youth baseball is such a highly specific environment, and, uh, but it's not evergreen. It's not, it's not forever. Uh, I don't know. You know, I think we're just going to, you know, certainly for us, I mean, the reason, you know, we're writing the book, the reason we have the certs, the reason we have the skills of scale book is all to just like push the the thought in that direction. Mm-hmm. Like that, that, that's what we're trying to do. And, and of those tools that I rattled off, some of them are free. Some of them uh, won't be free, but like we're trying to put more stuff in the ecosystem that helps people understand that like there's, there's a different way to think, think about this thing. And there's a different set of, uh, incentives that exist along that path that I think are just more healthy for your children and possibly you as a parent, depending on how far down the rabbit hole you go. And, and you know, you want to go back to the conversation about us not treating this like a business. Uh, we're both suckers that, like, if you reach out, we'll probably help you uh, oh, yeah, and, and figure out a way to do a lot of this uh, on your budget or for free. Or for free. Uh, and, like, I don't get a lot of people reaching out to me. 
I don't know if you get a lot. You, you're way more active online, so you may get more people reaching out to you. Dude, I spent an hour talking to a guy um, last week who has his son. Um, uh, his son plays for a national organization. Uh, it's got a big name. Um, they win a lot. Uh, he um, he is 14 and he's like 70, 72 uh, throwing velo, which is and it's okay. Uh, it's not it's not exemplary, but it's okay. We're not like definitively behind the curve. Right. Uh, batted ball EVs are like high sixes. We are behind the curve. Yeah, we are behind the curve. We are behind the curve. And um, and the thing that I you know one of the things we talked about is just like look you know that's something that can kind of definitively be improved. But to do that, you have to make a lot of choices that are in consideration of wanting to drive that improvement, which is relative to your schedule, relative to your time, relative to things that you prioritize, relative to simply like giving a kid permission to move fast. Or to fail. Or to fail. Like when we've done our pitch designs in here, yeah. uh, one, of, one of my kids, uh, shout out Paul as his dad. Because I know he listens to this and said I I've never shouted him out. So shout out to Paul. Uh, we love him. We we tweaked his grip on his curveball. Great command normally. Yeah. Uh, he threw like five straight curveballs uh, into like the corner of the net, like not even like within fifteen oh, no, they, feet of of the strike zone. No, they were not competitive. And in the like, slightest. Uh, I could tell he was not thrilled with the tweak. Um, and like I just want to go back to throwing my old curveball. And we're like, look, you're it's kind of slurvy. We want to add separation between your curveball and your yeah. slider. This first PD, yeah, you're going to look like a fool some of these times throwing it. You yeah. literally, we just tweaked your grip. It's the first time you've thrown with this grip. You think you're going to figure it out right away? Yeah. Like, it's okay to look like a goon sometimes yeah. when you're trying to, like, figure some things out and, like, explore new movement patterns with yep. your body. You're going to look like a goon. And if, like, you try it once and a coach gets the ass about it or kid, your teammates make fun of you sure, or – you know, someone tells you don't do that or gives you the signal you shouldn't do that yep. anymore, then you're done trying to explore movements and, like, figure out new things. Uh, and then w as soon as you're done doing that, you're done developing. Yep. Like, you can't – you have to already be pretty good. Otherwise, you're never going to get better. Even more so if the thing is, like, not good quantitatively but it's good for the environment in the competition environment right now you could get away with like a slurvy curve because right. most hitters aren't like they're not they don't need to see elite level separation between your heater and your curveball but that's not always going to be the case so even even making that decision means that like i have to trade a little bit of now for something that's more beneficial later and him understanding why we're doing this we're not tweaking it because it's a bad pitch right like we're not telling you your pitch is bad uh we're tweaking it because we want to make it even better um that gives the kid a, a sense of an idea of like why and and he's not gonna respond as poorly to failing to try to do that thing and then like that was on thursday uh and, and then, then on sunday and then yesterday uh, he just destroyed people with the with the curveball, and like, I have my plan is to ask him tomorrow because I didn't ask him yesterday at the game. But I would like I, I'm curious, was that the new grip or the old grip? Right. And my guess is that it was the old grip. Um, 
but he went back to, and this is like, he started last year with a pretty good 12 sixer. Yep. Uh, and it started to get more slurvy as the season went on. So maybe just us telling him the intention of doing this is to get more verticality on your curveball and have that separation. Maybe that is what clicked. And he didn't need the the grip tweak that we made. So he went back to his old grip, but he understood that that's the intention behind that yeah. and figured out how to get that within his old grip where he's comfortable. Yeah. That's a win. Yeah. That's that's like a clear win. And then he just like mowed people down with that curveball, um, which was just really fun to watch uh, and, and watch him feel it. Um, and like most people... That first one that he throws halfway up the net, I was like, "Yeah, don't do that." Okay, uh, no, you're uh, banging uh, that on rep number one. Rep number one. Yep. Um, and like, I'm be honest, I was working in a bullpen uh, with kids like across, and like, this is the kid who's normally got very good command, and I see these throws, and I'm like, "What are we doing? Like, who did this?" And then yeah. you know, I went over there, heard the conversation, was like, "Okay, like this," you know, and then I had that conversation with him, yeah. where like, instead of being like Nate, like, "Hey, man." uh this is why you understand like why we're doing this and like yes and then it kind of works yeah yeah i mean and i so so yeah you know uh i think if we are clear about the intention of youth baseball being something that is for learning and for permission to fail and for development then it is very easy for us to execute maybe not easy it's simple it's, it's not easy it's simple to execute. I think the, the challenging thing is, I think as a, as a coach uh, or as a parent or as a parent who coaches is to, to like, to be honest with yourself about what are you trying to do? You know, like, I mean, and, and I would say that like, yeah, that's an easier thing to do in the rec baseball environment, but I've, I've not only seen hardos as coaches in rec ball, I was one. I, I've been that guy. So, yeah, man, I, I think, you know, again, starting this conversation about, about pitch count um, flows into all this different kind of more broad question about what's the intention of our ecosystem because that stuff is at the core of what's compelling this behavior. That's what's at the core of self-selecting into a place where, where you don't have to be compliant with standards that, are, that should just be common sense good for health. It... it it's all related to the same MFing thing, which is just like, what are we trying to do? What is the purpose? And ours is pretty clear. Uh, we're in it for the skills of scale thing. Yeah. yeah. And like, it's going to take a lot to get that changed in yeah. a lot of places. Yeah. And that and that's okay. You know, like, uh, and again, um, you know, if, if we can make development a competition, uh, I could care less about whether there are returns on that process in 12 to 24 months, but I'm so excited about the returns in month 48. You know, like I just, and, and look, man, like that, that's just fundamental ecological dynamics of skill acquisition stuff. We're compounding interest. And if those concepts resonate for you, drivelinebaseball.com slash driveline And if not, everything I said is wrong. Keep doing what you're doing. I want to, hold on to this market advantage for as long as I can. Yeah, and and like, you know, I think we'll have it for a while. Because it's like, right. it's going to, look, it took a long time for like big league teams to adopt overload underload training. Yeah. Uh, like it's going to be way longer with, with youth coaches. Yeah. Uh, and like, that's just a, you know, we'll always have the, and like, 
we could be the, again, going back to like, we could care about business and be like, this is actually kind of really good for us. And like, sure. We're not those people because we just want, we care about like youth baseball getting better. And like, that is yep. frustrating to us, even though it may benefit our business frustrates us that like, we have to continue to have these conversations and deal with this kind of stuff. Cause yeah. it shouldn't be a thing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's tough, but, um, until it isn't a thing, we'll keep having these same conversations over and over because just like... Uh, Which means next week we're talking about why why bat speed doesn't matter. Probably, yeah. I mean, why not? Contact-oriented approach. Got yeah. a bunt. Got a bunt a lot. Yeah. We've never really done a bunting episode, have we? Not really. No. Why not? Why not? We'll lead, we should. We'll Maybe lead next into week. It. We'll lead into Next it. week, we'll talk about bunting. I'll wear the shirt and everything. There, I felt like it was a... There was like a troll on me because again I, I don't go on social media a ton but there was like a day last week where i went on twitter and like the first like four videos i saw were all different bunt drills and i was like is this a practical joke that someone's playing on me and then i just closed the app it was like i'm done with this for the day the like, bunt the bunt into the bucket yes thing. that was the first one that was there was the bunt into the bucket thing and i was just like what, what, what are we what are we doing it's not even a good bunt right it's bunting it directly into the ground <laughs> like, the catcher's gonna be right there to pick be like, up, like oh thank you very much yeah i, I like this free out yeah, it, it was just like, and like, you know, we went over bunt defense and EDU, and it was like, very simple. They're giving us the out. Take it. Throw it first. Take it. Done. Take, take the out. Yeah. Like, we only have to get, uh, you know, 21 to 27 of them. Yeah. Don't be a hero. Take the out. Your pitcher's probably going to strike out that next guy because, like, uh, baseball K rates are high at Correct. the big league level. They're definitely higher at the youth level. And, like, you can bunt and really hope that. And, like, the thing is, like, there's going to be wild pitches, and that guy is oh, probably sure. going to score. But, like, yeah. We're going to make the bet that we're going to strike out and catch the ball. Uh, and they're just going to hand us an out. For yeah. Free. Um, yeah. But more ne- more on that next week yeah. when we talk about bunting. Coming in hot, uh, bunt, uh, uh, buntapalooza. Yeah. Buntalooza? Overload, underload training for bunting. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. I like, yeah, let's, uh, let's contextual interference, our bunt development. Okay. I know I was joking, but I bet if you <laughs> bunted with a skinny bat. You'd get like pretty get good at bunting. Super good at yeah. it. <laughs> like you get really good at bunting if you bunted with a skinny bat, like for sure. like twenty minutes of practice. Yeah, but then the natural thing is like, oh, well, if I'm getting good at this particular skill, well, maybe I should try this when I'm actually moving the bat fast. Mm. But mm. yeah, don't don't do that. Move the bat fast is bad. So yeah, uh, bunt of Palooza next week. Mm. We'll get right into it. Uh, thank you guys as usual. Let us know if you have questions. We have a ton of resources to think think about this thing differently. Because uh, hopefully we're not the only ones. I think, and know. we want to help. Yeah. So like, don't be a stranger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Buntapalooza next week. I'm looking forward to it. We'll see yeah. you guys then. Bye.